Well, John chapter 12 this morning, we are putting our Philippians series on pause uh, for this week and next. This is what is commonly called Palm Sunday in the Christian community. And next Sunday is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, when uh, there is this emphasis on celebrating the resurrection. Now, every Lord's Day, in its own way, is a celebration of the resurrection. Uh, But Easter, Resurrection Sunday, is kind of a special emphasis on that. And uh, here we are in Palm Sunday, which is kind of starting that emphasis on the Passion Week of Jesus as he heads towards uh, accomplishing the great saving acts of salvation. I think for most of us in this room, uh, Palm Sunday is not really a new idea. Many of us have been Christians for a while. We're familiar with the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem, what was read for us this morning from John 12, riding on a donkey, people with palm branches, their celebration, their chants of praise, Hosanna. Many of us are familiar with that. We sing about it, we preach about it, we confess that Jesus is king. But in the text that John shows us, he's not just trying to show us that Jesus is king. He also wants us to see the kind of king that Jesus is. And this is where things get interesting. What I aim to do in this sermon is point our attention at two specific areas about the kingship of Jesus that I hope for us as Christians will freshly inflame our hearts with adoration and awe and worship for Christ. And if you're not a Christian, I hope that you will be drawn to confess and to know and love Jesus as your king. Now in John 12, you notice that just before the Apostle John tells us about Palm Sunday events, uh, there beginning in verse 12, if you just glance back a little bit earlier, we learn that the fame of Jesus had reached a frenzy kind of level. If you look in verse 9, it says, the large crowd, and by the way, this large crowd is, re- is, is referenced uh, a few times in this passage. It's almost as if it's its own character, this large crowd that's following Jesus in this frenzy. You notice that they, this large crowd of the Jews had learned that Jesus was there. They came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. And so what precedes the events going into Palm Sunday, going into his, Jesus entering Jerusalem, is Jesus had raised a man from the dead. Now, again, some of us are like, yeah, that's Jesus. He, kinda, he does that. It's his thing. But I think we, um, we take that almost too calmly, too cavalierly, because we've heard the story many times, perhaps. There was a man who had, been, who had died, who had been embalmed, who had had a funeral, who was buried in a tomb. And he'd been there for days. There were witnesses to his death, witnesses at his funeral. There were people that were going to to, to visit the grave. And Jesus raises him from the grave. This guy gets up out of the grave. He's, He's wrapped in grave clothes and he stands up. Now imagine if you were an eyewitness of that. How... What, what would you tell your family over dinner? You probably wouldn't wait until dinner to tell them that story. You, you would start with words probably like this. You aren't going to believe what I've got to say. You're not going to believe this. Why? Because it's, it's like unbelievable. A dead man was raised from the grave. This drew a crowd of tourist gawkers who wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to see this guy that had done this and they wanted to see the proof of what had been done. The dead man walking, right? So there's this great crowd that is, that is thronging and trying to press in and see. They wanted to see it. They wanted to eyewitness it. Wouldn't you? <laughs> if you hadn't been there and word spread, by the way, this was before social media, 
before the internet, right before Twitter and Facebook and all that other stuff. Word spread. Okay? The crowds are gathering. Gawkers are coming. They want to see Jesus. And of course, that's how you and I would be too. I'd maybe be like, hey fam, let's, let's go travel over and see if this is actually true. This really happened. Now, this was causing a big problem for the religious leaders of the day because the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the chief priests, they were defiant in their rejection of who Jesus was. Jesus as Messiah, God's sent one, God with us, the God-man. They were defiant in their rejection of, of Jesus as that, and they wanted to hush Jesus. They wanted to eradicate him, remove him, kill him. And so there's another problem. There's this guy that Jesus raised from the dead walking around who is kind of like a walking billboard of who Jesus says he is, Messiah. So we find out in this text in verse 10, so the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. And I know that you just kind of have to chuckle. Poor guy, right? I mean, he dies once. He gets raised back to life, not because he, you know, asked for it. And uh, now you've got uh, the religious leaders of the day plotting to kill him. Um, you just kind of have to have a little bit of sympathy for him, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you can't really enter witness protection or ask for the U.S. Marshals to protect you. You've got the religious leaders trying to hunt you down. There's this conspiracy going on. And so, notice, notice that what John tells us more about the crowd in verse 17. Now, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to bear witness. They're this... The crowd now is it's kind of like a, a, a living advertisement for who Jesus is. He is king. He is Messiah. He is God's sent one. And so the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So there's this loud, large crowd that just cannot stop talking about Jesus and what he had done. It's spectacular. It's sensational. Now, this happens in similar ways today, right? Someone will do something amazing, something that has never been done before, and we'll get excited about it, we'll talk about it, articles will be, will be written about it, newscasts will be given about it, uh, maybe movies will be made about it. Uh, for example, in June 3rd of 2017, a guy named Alex Honnold made the fr- first free solo ascent of El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. That is just shy of 3,000 vertical feet climb, and he did it without any ropes, any safety measures at all, free soloing it. No other climber had ever done that before. This, of course, there was a buzz created by it. Um, how many of you are familiar with this story? Go ahead and put your hands up. Okay? How many of you have your hands up are also climbers? Ah, isn't it right? So I don't think any of you are like, man, I tried that, and I just didn't have you know, the guts to do it. N- none of us are like that. Yet we all, many of us, are familiar with the story. How is that possible? We're not even in the climbing community because something that had never been done before now had been done, and it was amazing, sensational. I mean, some of you are scared to change a light bulb on a six-foot ladder, right? Now imagine hanging 2,900 feet on a sheer cliff, and there's no ropes. That's what he did. We get caught up in it. Well, Jesus did something even more amazing than climbing El Capitan. He raised a man from the dead. The crowds are following. They want to meet him. Everyone's talking about him. Have you heard? They want to be near Jesus, with Jesus, meet Jesus. And it had reached such a level of frenzy that the Pharisees and the devoutly religious group of that day in verse 19, they were saying this to each other. 
So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. We're not getting any headway here, guys. Why? Look, the world has gone after him, verse 19. That's the assessment of the religious leaders. They're kind of, our, our efforts to foil this guy, to silence this guy, they're worthless. The world's gone after him. How do you compete with a guy who can raise the dead? Well, why had the world gone after him? Well, because Jesus is a king unlike any other king. And there are two ways that I want to show us from John 12 how that is true. There's numerous other ways in here, okay? We could do a whole sermon series on Palm Sunday and the kingship of Jesus and the various features of of his kingship, but just two this morning that I hope will encourage us to have a fresh adoration of Christ and enjoyment of him. And if you don't know Christ, I hope that you'll be drawn to want to know him. The first, away, the first aspect of his kingship, Jesus is the king that overcomes death. Now, if you're a Christian here, you're like, well, yeah, I mean, we know this. But let's think about this together. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, the buzz that was following him in the, to the, into the city was about him raising the dead to life. We've just, we've just kind of gone over that. Now, the irony is that Jesus enters Jerusalem to begin his journey toward death, surrounded by the buzz of having raised a man from the dead. There's an irony in there, right? I mean, he's marching towards death, surrounded by the buzz of, of excitement about, a, about having raised a man from the dead. And so what we find here and have here in Jesus is what we all truly and most deeply need and want in life. We all need a king that brings with him the ability to overcome death. That is what we all need and want if we're honest with ourselves. We all need a king that brings with him the ability to overcome death. You see, our biggest problems in life are not financial or societal or economical or political or geographical or you fill in the blank. Our biggest problem in life is that we live under the curse of death. We live under the curse of death because of our rebellious acts against God. That's what sin is. We need someone who can deliver us from this curse. Someone who can deliver us from that eternal condemnation of death that goes with that curse. So take a look again at verse 19. Everyone was going after Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, real Jesus, when you really see him for who he is in the scriptures, you can't help yourself but be drawn to be moved to go after him. That's because the one you are truly seeking in life, the one that you're looking to provide the deepest knowing of your, and loving of your soul, is Jesus. If you would embrace the truth of the biblical record about who Jesus is, he can overcome death, he can solve your greatest problem, you have to admit that he is without a doubt the one you seek. So, all of us in here are looking for something in life. You're looking for something. You're yearning for it. You're searching for it. Sometimes you look for it in substances or activities or experiences or shopping or entertainment or leisure. We're all looking for something. And in all of our efforts to find true love in deep friendship, in all of our searching to find a a great leader, someone you can really follow in your lifelong hunt for a true hero, Jesus is the one you really seek. He is the one you seek because he alone can overcome death. Now, sadly, we often look past 
the Jesus of the Scriptures. We too often want a different kind of king, which is what the crowd eventually revealed that they wanted. At least some in the crowd, many in the crowd, because in a week's time, they go from chanting celebrations on Hosanna, God save us, to crucify him. We want a different king, a king who will give us success now. Friendships, relationships now. Fulfillment in those various areas now. We want someone who maybe who will give our political party success or, or, or position now. We want a king that will give us prosperity. But what does all that matter? Why would any of that matter if you will still die and be condemned eternally for your rebellion against God under the curse of sin and death? I mean, imagine if you had a king, if you had a ruler, a leader, who gave you what you wanted. You had a genie in a bottle and you got your three wishes. What does that matter? If you will still die condemned under the curse of sin. This is why Jesus says, what does it profit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? You see, friends, we need a king who will save our souls. And that king who can save our souls must be able to deliver our soul from the curse of sin, which is death. We need a king who can overcome death. And that's what we have in Jesus. But here's the question. Will he? Will he deliver us? See, it's one thing to have power. It's one thing to have the ability. But then will that person use that power and ability for us, for our good, to have mercy upon us in our need? That's the question. Kings can be temperamental, right? I've heard, I've read stories about that. I haven't had like first-hand experience of a temperamental king. But have you read some of the history books or the stories about temperamental kings? Pretty atrocious, right? I mean, aren't you glad you didn't like live during that time? I mean, we have accounts in the Bible of temperamental kings. Like think of the story of Esther. If you're not familiar with that story, in, in the biblical book you have a king who it was recorded that you did not enter his presence uninvited. And if you did, and the king did not raise his scepter to you to receive you, you would be killed. You'd be executed. In fact, it was such a, um, it was such a, uh, a, well, a real threat that the king's wife, Esther, and I know it's complicated, the king had lots of ladies in his life, but Esther was the top gal in the kingdom that she was terrified to go into his presence uninvited, to appeal for the deliverance of her people. She was terrified of that because she told, she told a friend, listen, if I go in and he doesn't receive me, he doesn't raise the scepter, I'm dead. Temperamental king, right? There's stories in history books about temperamental kings. Is Jesus like that? He has the power to overcome death, but will he raise his scepter and to receive and to grant that and to give that? Or what must we do to achieve and receive that kind of power to be working on our behalf? Well, that leads us to the second aspect about the kingship of Jesus this morning. Not only is Jesus the king who overcomes death, but number two, Jesus is gentle and lowly and delivers his people from death. Jesus is gentle and lowly and delivers his people from death. Look at verse 13. So this crowd, right? They take branches of palm trees and they go out to meet Jesus. They hear he's coming into Jerusalem. 
This crowd is buzzing with excitement about what he's done. They want to see this man. They're celebrating. The, the, I mean, this guy can overcome death. He can surely overcome Rome. Rome, the Pax Romana, accomplishing peace by killing everyone who stood in their way. Well, Jesus can overcome death. Maybe he can overthrow Rome. And so they go and they start grabbing palm branches. Now, we kind of scratch our heads at this. I mean, imagine if we had a, if we had a parade, like Fourth of July parade here down through Highlands Ranch, and everybody gathers on, the, on Highlands Ranch Parkway and they start chopping branches off of trees. Uh, we'd have problems, right? I mean, people would be like, whoa, slow down. Um, what's going on here? Well, this was commonly done in the day for celebrations, for parades. It's kind of like the cheap, um, uh, available, accessible ticker tape parade, right? Not balloons, not ticker tape and everything flying through the air. They'd grab palm branches and they'd wave these palm branches as a, as a sign of celebration. It's referred to in a kind of a, a parade celebration uh, later on in the Bible in Revelation in celebrating Jesus and his kingship. Um, this was done. It was a simple way. Commonly done. As, uh, um, I'm not from the South, but I've heard that this is done, has been done in the South, where people would yank, pull out their, their hankies and like, like wave their hankies because you know, they're, they're excited. Um, or maybe, okay, this one will work better. At a concert, pull out your cell phones. Some of you are looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> work with me, people. Uh, pull out your cell phone. They turn on the flashlight, and everybody wave. The, okay, now I'm getting like, okay, now we're in the modern, modern age, okay? Um, the cell phone's the modern-day hanky. Um, we, we get that idea, right? This, this, this throng is using what's accessible and what's there to, to praise and celebrate this kind of united celebration. That's what's going on here with these palm branches. But notice what the crowd is chanting in verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Which, by the way, the end there, even the King of Israel, is, is a strong geopolitical marker of the expectations of the crowd. The King of Israel by the way, the placard that's going to be over Jesus is going to be king of the Jews. Hosanna means save us. It's what the crowd is doing here is they're reciting from Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verse 25, it reads, Save us, we pray, O Jehovah, O Yahweh. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. We bless you from the house of the Lord. They are quoting from Psalm 118, in celebrating Jesus, this man who overcame death as he enters Jerusalem with their hopes and expectations that here's the king that they've been longing for, but the king that they are expecting, that they want, that they will demand as a king who will deliver them geopolitically, king of Israel. That's the chant. Most in the crowd wanted that political deliverance. Now, not even the disciples of Jesus understood what was happening. Look at verse 16. Uh, John is one of this group. He's writing here in, in verse 16, admitting his own confusion. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The pieces start falling into place after the fact. Well, it's happening. They weren't understanding this. And so far, you might be wondering, well, how does any of this show that Jesus is gentle and lowly? He's entering the city like a celebrity, Celebrities aren't usually known for being gentle and lowly, right? I mean, celebrities, I don't think we have any celebrities in here this morning, um, right? They can be known for being exacting and demanding, 
right? You have wealth and popularity, and with that perhaps comes the sense of entitlement, and you kind of are used to having yourself surrounded by comforts. And Jesus is entering the city like a celebrity. He's surrounded by cheers and celebrations, palm branches being waved, crowd chanting praise for him. So how is this gentle and lowly? Well, as we keep reading in verse 14 and 15, we see that the way Jesus entered Jerusalem is sharply contrasted with what's happening around him. Yeah, he's being treated like a celebrity as he enters, but he's not behaving like one. Look at verse 14 and 15. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Why? Here's why, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus does not ride in like a celebrity on a war horse or a beautiful horse. Uh, I have seen pictures of parades in England with king and queen and all the people that go with them. I don't know all the terms, duchess and dukes. I can't keep it all straight. But you get the idea, right? And they're always on these magnificent-looking horses, just magnificent, you know, tails braided, everything combed and everything decked out, and it's gorgeous. Contrast that with what Jesus is doing. He's not riding on a war horse. He's riding on a farm donkey, a beast of burden. Um, I mean, donkeys don't even sound cool, right? I mean, if you just heard them and you heard them kind of do their, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> but you heard, I mean, you hear a donkey make its noise and you just want to laugh, right? You're like, <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of, it's silly. At least I think so. Friends, that's what Jesus rides in on. We, we kind of think, well, yeah, I just donkey, okay, big deal. But there, there's a lot that's being telegraphed here about who Jesus is. And what's happening here is Jesus does this because he is fulfilling a prophecy that was given by Zechariah, a prophet from a long time before, which is recorded in Zechariah 9, 9 and following. And I'll read that passage that he's fulfilling from Zechariah, from the pen of Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Look, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus chose to declare and authenticate his kingship by acting out the fulfillment of this prophecy from Zechariah. He rides into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. By doing this, Jesus is saying, yes, I am king, just like the prophet Zechariah foretold. I am king. Where Zechariah says, look, behold, you're king. Jesus says, I'm that guy. I am fulfilling that prophecy. But by fulfilling this prophecy, he's announcing the kind of king he is. The kind of king that Zechariah proclaims, gentle and lowly, mounted on a donkey, humble, humble. And Jesus is a king like none other. Not only does he have the power to overcome death, which is what you need, most in life. But he also is a king who is humble and gentle. Now, through the ages, kings have announced their kingship in very different ways than Jesus. World leaders will announce their power and put on shows. 
They'll do it by having these big parades of their armies pass in front of them with all their war machines pass in front of them, right? With all the crowds there to see this presentation of wealth. You have stories in the Old Testament kings where they got themselves in trouble before God because they would parade um, foreign dignitaries through the treasuries to show how wealthy they were. And God would say, what did you show them? And, well, I showed them everything. And, they, and God was upset because they were putting their dependence upon their wealth. That's, that's how we're wired. We want to impress. Parades will have other impressive people present, right? Powerful celebrities or dignitaries or influential people to be present to kind of add to the significance of what's happening. But not Jesus. Not at this moment. So what does all this mean? Well, for today, I'd like us to realize and rejoice that in Jesus, we have a king who has the power to overcome death and he is gentle and lowly to deliver us from death. He doesn't use his power for self-gratification or advancement. Jesus actually gives himself up to save us. That's what's happening in Palm Sunday. Titus, here's, here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus in chapter 2. He says that we should be... Um, oh, I have the wrong passage in my notes. So I'm just going to have to leave you hanging there kind of wondering what I was going to say. Um, I'm sorry. Let's pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> I'm trying to remember it by memory. Um, where he says that salvation has appeared to all, all right? Um, somebody help me. Uh, can they, nobody help me. Okay, you're all in the same situation, okay? Uh, so you know what I'm, what I'm referring to. Um, but the grace of God has appeared to all, bringing salvation... Um, well, okay, I'll just, I'll just move on. Um, how he, he gave himself as a ransom to save us. That's what the Apostle Paul is writing. Jesus sacrificed... Mike, you got it? Yeah, could you read it out loud? What, is there one more verse? Okay. Yeah, Paul will keep writing you know, those long sentences. Um, I don't know if you could hear all that. Thanks. But how, how Jesus has given himself, paid, paid a ransom for us to redeem us. That's Jesus. He is gentle and humble and lowly. If you've been here for our series in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is, is leading up to this climax of encouraging his readers to live lives that are gospel-centered, that are, that are living worthy of the gospel in unity and not to be pleasing themselves, but to be preferring others more than themselves. And he, the slam dunk for the encouragement and motivation to do that is the mind of Christ, which Paul says you have in Philippians chapter 2. And then he describes the mind of Christ as someone who gave himself, who humbled himself, even to death, even to death on a cross. That's the king we have. So on Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem as a hero who can overcome death, and he conquers death as that hero through his own death. So then today, we remember and reflect on Palm Sunday as we head into this emphasis on the cross work of Jesus we reflect on the gift that we have in Jesus as a king like none other. A king who can overcome death and a king who is gentle and humble to deliver us from death. But there's more to the story. And this is where we'll conclude. Palm Sunday looks ahead 
at another time, at another entrance of Jesus. On Palm Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem lowly, humble, amidst the celebrations of the crowd, with their hopes and expectations that he was going to be the king to deliver them, to be their, their Israeli king, their Jewish king, to overthrow Roman oppression. But there will be another entrance that Jesus will make one day. He's coming back. He will make another entrance, and it will be markedly different. When Jesus returns the second time, when he enters the second time, he'll not be riding on the foal of a donkey. He will be on a war horse. That second entrance is recorded for us by the Apostle John, same author in the Gospel of John, now in Revelation. The Apostle John, he records this in Revelation 19 this way, when Jesus enters the second time. Then I saw heaven open, Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, look, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. That's imagery there, okay? There's not a literal sword. But his word is striking down those that would stand in his way. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. Here it is. King of kings and Lord of lords. When Jesus comes that second time, it will be a markedly different entrance. So here's a question. Jesus entered the first time, gentle and lowly, a king who can overcome death and a king who offers you that deliverance now. Friend, if you reject that offer, his second entrance, you will meet a different Jesus. He will be your judge. Palm Sunday is the king entering to be your savior, gentle and humble and lowly. He is marching his way to the cross to pay for sin that you've committed. The, the rebellion of, of your rejection against God, he is there as to be your sacrifice. Will you embrace him? But if you reject him, he, when he comes again, you will, when he comes again, the reality will be this. You will realize how wrong you were to reject Christ. And he will be judge. Now, Jesus is the king that can overcome death, the curse of death in your life, the guilt and shame of your sin and rebellion. He can stand between you. He is the mediator. And if you do not know him as king, as savior, please hear the appeal of Palm Sunday. He is coming. He is marching as a hero that you want, that you long for, that you need most. He is gentle and lowly, offering salvation to everyone who will come. Friend, mark this. If you reject him, he will come again and you will see him as judge. Now, Christians that are gathered here today, Palm Sunday shows us the king that we have, a king who can overcome death and even more. We have a king who will make all things new, 
A king who can overcome death, you say, okay, great, he's given me eternal life, but I don't want to live in this world forever. I don't want to live in a world that's cursed by sin, that has babies dying and wars happening and and injustices occurring. We need a king who overcomes death, but in overcoming death, a king who will make all things new. And that is what we have. You see, when Jesus enters the second time, he's going to bring with him this new world, this new kingdom. And it's recorded for us again by the Apostle John in Revelation 21. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Which, by the way, Jesus was called Jesus. He was called God with us. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more, the king who can overcome death. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, sadness nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said this, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus is the king that overcomes death. He is the king that is gentle and humbly to deliver you from death, to deliver us from the curse of sin and death. And he is the king who is making all things new. Friends, our celebration of Christ on Palm Sunday can be anchored in those truths, those realities. Imagine the witness that we can have in the world this week as a people who celebrate King Jesus, as we battle our anxieties and the uncertainties of our world, the discouragements and frustrations that strike us in a world cursed by sin. To know this, we have in King Jesus someone who overcomes death. That's our greatest need someone who is gentle and humble to deliver us, sinners, and someone who is going to make all things new.